Isaiah is sometimes called the Gospel of Isaiah. Kind of a strange thing to call it. We think of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Isaiah the prophet um, is so filled with wonderful promises concerning the coming Redeemer. And the fact that uh, in Him all the nations of the earth will be gathered together. And, And you hear it here in the text that we are reading this morning. Thus says the Lord... Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps my Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all, all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. What a beautiful promise given through the prophet Isaiah long before the Christ even came. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 is our New Testament reading. Here the apostle concludes his letter by saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. Although the sermon today will focus only upon verses 18 through 20, as I have said, I've read verses 10 through 20 because these verses, they belong together. Uh, They form the conclusion to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And what Paul says in verses 18 through 20 will bring this entire section of his letter to a final conclusion. Uh, We are to remember, therefore, the original command stated in verse 10, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, the Apostle says. He is wanting to leave the, the Christians in Ephesus and us with this charge, Be strong in the Lord. And this we are to do by taking up the whole armor of God, we learn. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for our feet, which is the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We are to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we are to take up this armor so that we might stand against the schemes of the evil one in the evil day. We have learned this in this last section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But here in verse 18, Paul adds these words, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I think it is interesting how he worded this. Uh, notice Paul did not begin a new sentence to issue a fresh and distinct command, as if to say, stand, having put on the armor of God, and oh yes, don't forget to pray. Instead, here Paul used a participle in the perfect tense in the Greek, which is translated as praying. The perfect tense indicates that our praying is to be constant and continual. And the participle links the exhortation to pray back to the command in verse 14, Stand, therefore. And so the meaning is this. Christians are to be strong in the Lord. They are to stand firm. Uh, this is the command of the apostle. And they are to stand, having put on the armor of God, the belt of truth, and so forth. They are to stand, clothed in the spiritual armor, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is how we are to do this. We are to clothe ourselves with this spiritual armor in prayer. A prayer is how it is that we are to stand firm. Praying always, at all times, the Apostle says. And so, brothers and sisters, you must put on the armor of God. Uh, this we have already been exhorted to do. But I think you would agree with me that wearing armor will not make you a strong and courageous soldier. There are children who play dress-up and they put armor on. It does not necessarily mean that they are strong and courageous soldiers. Uh, the armor will not magically make you strong and courageous, even though it is essential. But God has provided you with this heavenly spiritual armor. You're to put it on. Something more is needed, though. You need spiritual courage. You need spiritual strength if you are to use this armor effectively to stand firm. And I think this is why Paul adds these words, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is how we are to be strong in the Lord. This is how we are to stand firm, by putting on the whole armor of God for protection and by praying continuously to our Father in heaven to be empowered by Him as a soldier of Christ our Lord. And so prayer is not another piece of armor. Instead, to pray is to live in dependence upon God for strength and courage in battle. We are to put on the armor of God prayerfully and in full dependence upon Him is what Paul is here teaching us. The passage that is before us this morning is very brief, but it reveals a lot about prayer. And I want for you to notice seven things. First of all, the Apostle commands us to pray at all times. Stand therefore clothed in your spiritual armor, and then in verse 18, praying at all times. Of course, this does not mean that Christians should do nothing but pray. Paul is not here encouraging a life of monkish solitude, 
wherein a, pers- wherein a person retreats from the world to devote themselves entirely to prayer. I think that way of life is inconsistent with the Christian's calling. Uh, we are to live in the world, but we are to be not of it. That is what Christ told us. And this means that we must engage in activities common to life in this world. You will need to work. You will need to raise your children. You'll need to clean the dishes, do the laundry, mow the lawn. These menial tasks are not to be neglected by the Christian so that we might pray instead. You will engage in social activities with believers and non-believers alike. You will engage in commerce. You will eat and drink. And all of these things are to be done to the glory of God. So when Paul says that we are to pray at all times, he does not mean do nothing but pray, but rather pray continually in every circumstance and at every occasion. We should remember that the apostle wrote something similar to the churches in Thessalonica. To them he said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And I think the meaning is the same in both passages, essentially. When Paul says pray at all times or pray without ceasing, he means that the Christian is to have prayer as a regular and constant habit. Prayers are to be offered up not once a week nor once a day, but throughout the day from moment to moment. And more than this, prayers are to be offered up not only in times of distress, but also in times of joy and success. Throughout the day, the Lord is to be appealed to. We are to call out to Him when things are going bad and when things are going good. I think it is very natural for people to call out to God saying, Lord, help me, or Lord, help them. But we are also to call out to the Lord, and we are to give thanks to Him for His goodness, and we are to bless His most holy name. A prayer for the Christian should be more like breathing than eating. That image came to my mind. Think of it. When we eat, we, we sit down to eat, and we do it at certain times. And then when we rise from the table, we then uh, go away from it. We leave the food behind and the table behind to live off of the nourishment of the food that we have eaten. We do not eat without ceasing, do we? Or at least we should not. Uh, cattle eat without ceasing, don't they? They graze continuously, but not we as humans. We We eat and then we rise from the table and then we go about our day leaving the eating behind. But we do breathe without ceasing. We breathe naturally while we go about many different tasks. And yes, sometimes we breathe more heavily. And yes, sometimes we are more aware of our breathing, but we breathe naturally at all times and without ceasing. And I think prayer to God should be something like this in the life of the believer. It should be natural to live in constant communion with our Maker through faith in the Redeemer as we sojourn in the world that He has made. Furthermore, to pray at all times means to pray at every occasion. If I were to guess, I would imagine that most people pray during times of distress. Perhaps you have heard that expression that there are no atheists in foxholes. Have you ever heard that expression before? I don't know if that expression is entirely true. I I would imagine that some have managed to be consistent with their denial of God, and even in times of distress, they refuse to call out to Him. But in general, I think the expression is true. Even those who deny God's existence will, in times of great distress, call out to Him. They will call out to some 
uh, some, some higher being for, for assistance. And so there is a general truth, I think, to uh, this expression. Even those who live their lives as if there no, are no God, is no God, will, will often cry out to God in, in, in times of, of extreme distress. But the Christian's prayer life is to look very different from this. If we are in Christ and we have been reconciled to God and adopted as His children, and so we are to live in constant communion with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is not just an opportunity for us to, to run to God for help in a time of need, but it is an opportunity for us to, to live in communion with our Heavenly Father. We are to cry out to Him when we are fearful, when we are overwhelmed, and when we are perplexed. And we are also to pray to Him when we are filled with joy and satisfaction. More than this, we are to commune with God in prayer, not only when we are affected by extreme emotion, be it on the side of joy or sorrow, but even in the mundane moments of life. And so I wonder, friends, when you do something as common as drinking a cup of cold water, does it lead you to give glory to God in prayer? When you feel the warmth of the sun on a cold day or the cool breeze on a warm day, does it prompt you to pray and to give thanks to God for, for these gifts. I think this is what it means for Christians to pray at all times. Not only in moments of distress, um, but under every circumstance. And throughout the day, we are to maintain this communion with our Maker. Just yesterday, I, I had already written the sermon the day before I had finished it. Uh, and I was outside doing yard work um, and I just couldn't stop. There were a bunch of projects and I was into it and I was actually having a good time. But pretty soon it was noon or 1 o'clock and it was about 112 outside, you know. It was a really hot day. Uh, but from time to time, a dark cloud would, would, would come between me and the sun, right? And there were a number of times where I just paused and I gave thanks to God for that. Thank you, Lord. You know, what a, it just was a, a blessing from above. And I think... This is the kind of thing that the Christian is to do. We are to have this conversation and communion with God naturally, spontaneously throughout the day. We are to pray in all circumstances. So in Christ, we are to stand firm. That is the leading command. We are to stand firm clothed in spiritual armor. This we have been instructed in. And we are to pray at all times and at every occasion. We are to pray for strength and courage for ourselves and others in times of difficulty. But all of our prayers are to be filled with thanksgiving. Secondly, the apostle commands us to pray in the Spirit. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, it does not mean to pray silently, as if the apostle were commanding us to pray quietly and in our hearts. Uh, many of our prayers offered up to God throughout the day will be silent prayers, prayers offered up in the heart, but that is not what the apostle is here referring to. And nor does it mean to pray in some spiritual language or tongue. That idea is nowhere found in this text, and I think it is based upon a misunderstanding of the gift of tongues as it existed in the early days of the church in the age of the apostles. Instead, uh, to pray in the Spirit means to pray being led by the Spirit and with His assistance. We should not divorce what Paul says here about praying in the Spirit from what he's said in the rest of his epistle about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the church. The book of Ephesians, you noticed, is a very spiritual book. The Holy Spirit 
um, plays a major role in this book. And in fact, we have called the theme of this letter unity in God's inaugurated new creation. I don't know if you remember that phrase from long ago in the introduction to this epistle. But the new creation, we have said, is present in the world now. The new creation that will be brought to a consummation when Christ returns is present in the world now, and it is present in the world through the church, which is, we have been told by Paul, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul has urged us in this letter to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Stated differently, in the new creation, everything will be spiritual at the consummation. Everything will be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The new creation will be physical, of course, but it will be spiritual in the sense that it will be filled with the glory of God, empowered by and under the complete control of the Holy Spirit of God. And here in Ephesians, as well as in other places, Paul is teaching that the new creation is present in the world now because the Spirit of God has been poured out upon those who believe. And these have been gathered together within Christ's church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is urging the new creation community, that is to say the church, to maintain its unity, which is a unity brought about by the agency of the Holy Spirit. What we are experiencing right now is special, brothers and sisters. We see a manifestation of the kingdom of God as it will be for all eternity now in the world. We get a small foretaste as we gather together on the Lord's Day of of what we will experience for all eternity when all is made new, when all is spiritual and empowered by the Spirit to, to, to the fullness. We get a small foretaste of it now because we, the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You individually have been filled filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul has taught this so clearly in his letter, and it's so important for us to recognize this. Review with me briefly what Paul has said regarding the Holy Spirit in this letter. 113, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 218, for through Christ we both, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So how do we have access to the Father? It's, it's in the spirit that we have access to the Father. 2.22 In Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is what the church is. A, a dwelling place for God by the agency of the Holy Spirit. In 3.16 Paul reported to pray in this way that according to the riches of the Father, the Father's glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So, so how are we going to be strengthened with power? It will be through His Spirit in our inner being. 4.3, we learned, or we are urged rather, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice we were not urged there, or remember that we were not urged to create this unity, but to maintain it. It's a unity we already have if we are in Christ Jesus, for we have been united together in Christ by the Spirit. In 4.4, the basis for this unity was identified. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one, the one hope that belongs to your call. In 4.30, we were warned, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In 5.18, we read, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This means that we are to, to walk in the Spirit and be controlled by Him and led by Him always. And then finally in 6.17 we are commanded to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. And so when all is considered, it is clear that the believer and the church, which is the assembly of those who believe, is set apart in this world by the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you are sealed with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. It is through the Spirit that we have access to the Father. It is by the Spirit that we are joined to Christ and thus to one another. And so together we are the temple of the Spirit, a dwelling place for God. The Spirit strengthens the believer and he strengthens the church. And so when Paul says, pray in the Spirit, he means that we are to pray individually and together, being led by the Spirit and with His assistance. I might ask the question, what is the alternative to praying in the Spirit? Well, I suppose that it would be possible to pray, but being driven by or led by the flesh. If a worldly person were to pray, how would he pray? How does a worldly person pray? What would the unspiritual and unregenerate person pray for? I think you know what the answer to that question is. The worldly person will pray for worldly things. I doubt his leading petition would be, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What do you think? Will the worldly and unregenerate person pray in that way? Will that be their very first petition? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is my leading desire, that you be glorified. No, the worldly and unregenerate person will not pray for the glory of God first, but rather perhaps for their own glory. The worldly and unregenerate person will not pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God, for that is of little concern to them. Rather, they will pray for the advancement of their own kingdom. The worldly and unregenerate person will not pray for the forgiveness of sins, nor that the Lord lead him not into temptation. Instead, worldly people pray for worldly things. They pray for health. They pray for wealth. They pray for prosperity. This is what worldly people pray for. And I am not saying that the Christian should not pray for worldly provisions. Indeed, Christ taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So it is legitimate to pray for health and wealth and prosperity, but not for that first. These are not our leading petitions. Instead, we are to pray for the glory of God, the advancement of his kingdom. We are to pray that his will would be done. We are to pray that he would lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. These things should be our primary concerns. And yet also we are invited by our Father in heaven to say, give us this day our daily bread. And so when a Christian prays in the Spirit, it is the Spirit of God that leads them to pray for spiritual and heavenly things, the glory of God in all things, the furtherance of Christ's kingdom, which is the salvation of souls and the growth of the church. The one who prays in the Spirit is concerned that God's will be done and not their own. For the one who is born of the Spirit and led by the Spirit sees the world differently. Do you understand this? There are so many times when I'm writing a sermon and thinking about the sermon that I, I think, I wish we had church outside. Now, I really don't on hot days like this, but I don't know. There's something about just looking out over a city, you know, and contemplating these truths. I, I don't, there's something about it that the Christian sees the world differently, or at least they should. We see life differently. We see the issues of life differently. We have different 
priorities, or at least we should. We're, we're not to live for this world and the things of this world, but for the world to come. And so the fleshly person, if they do pray, they're going to pray for fleshly and worldly things, but the spiritual person, when the one who has been regenerated and sealed by the Holy Spirit prays, there are going to be different concerns that are leading concerns, different desires that are going to be driving them to pray for heavenly and spiritual things. I hope that you see this. When a Christian prays in the Spirit, the Spirit of God leads them to pray for spiritual and heavenly things. Uh, these things that have to do with the glory of God, His kingdom, His will, the forgiveness of sins, and being led not into, into temptation, but into paths of righteousness for God's name's sake. Stand firm, clothed in armor, praying at all times in the Spirit, the Apostle says. Thirdly, Paul commands us to pray all kinds of prayers. Stand therefore clothed in spiritual armor, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So Paul uses two words to refer to the prayers of God's people here. Prayers and supplications. Prayer refers to prayer more generally. Supplication is a particular kind of prayer. When we supplicate, we ask for something earnestly and with a sense of urgency. So I will not belabor this point, for I've already said that God's children should bring all kinds of prayers to Him. We are to come to Him with needs, our needs and the needs of others. We are to come to Him with thanksgiving. Indeed, we are to pray for many things, the glory of His name, the advancement of His kingdom, strength to keep His will, provision of our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins, and the deliverance from evil. The child of God is to pray for all sorts of things, and these prayers will take the form of prayers and supplications. And notice that Paul also says that we're to pray with all prayer, and, all prayer and supplication. Not only are we to pray for a variety of things, but we are to pray also in a variety of ways. The Christian may pray silently and in her heart, or from the heart and out loud. God hears our silent prayers. He also hears our verbalized prayers. Uh, the Christian may pray alone and in a concentrated and deliberate way. This seems to be what Jesus was referring to when he said, but when you pray, go into your, inner, into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That is Matthew 6, 6. I, I think here is what Christ is referring to, this, this, this prayer that is concentrated and, and deliberate and individual. And it is imperative, I think, for Christians to devote themselves to this kind of prayer. We might call it private prayer. Prayer that is individual and prayer that is concentrated. And so I might ask you, brothers and sisters, do you have a time and a place set aside for this kind of prayer? And I do hope that young and old are listening to me here. Do you have a time and place set aside for this kind of prayer, this, this private prayer, this concentrated prayer? You know, it is my view that it's probably best to use the Lord's Prayer as a guide for prayer times such as this. Set aside a time and a place and have a plan. I think that is good advice here for being consistent in prayer. And pray through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Do not merely recite those petitions from memory, though you may do this, but having memorized them, use them as a guide and expand upon them, filling those petitions out with your particular desires and concerns. Not only should the Christian set aside a time and place for concentrated prayer, he should also pray spontaneously and throughout the day. These prayers do not need to be long. 
nor do they need to be out loud. The point here is that we are to bring our prayers and supplications to the Lord throughout the day. We are to live in communion with our Maker through Christ the Redeemer, being led by the Holy Spirit. Christians might also pray with others spontaneously. If someone is sharing some frustration or concern with you, or if they are sharing some praise, then do not hesitate to say to them, let's pray, brother. Let's pray, sister. I think it is good for us to have that habit to pray with others spontaneously. This is a wonderful way to minister to one another through prayer. And Christians might also pray with others in a concentrated way. I do hope that you are praying as families. Do you have a time set aside for, for family prayer? I think one of the things that hinders us in this in general is that we tend to view this as being a very complicated thing. It really is not. But to very briefly before bedtime say, let's pray together. And to pray to our Father in heaven as a family. This is a good thing for Christian homes to establish. Are you praying in your gospel community groups? I hope that you are. That should be a very big part of what we do together in small groups. We should pray. And you are to pray also in other groups that might be committed to regular prayer. Again, it is important to pick a time and a place and to have some sort of plan. But again, the plan need not be complicated. And certainly we are to pray as a church corporately. You'll notice that in that, that Isaiah passage that was read at the beginning of the sermon, the, the, the people of God are, are called to be a house of prayer. I think it is important that the church be a house of prayer. And this could be done in two ways. Corporate prayer can be. One, someone may pray on behalf of the congregation and the rest say amen or amen, which means it is true or I agree. And so when we pray in this way, I think it is important for those who lead to pray prayers that are true, to pray prayers that are reverent, and to express things that are of a concern to the body in general, or at least ought to be. And for those who are listening, to listen well, to be tuned in to the prayer that is being prayed out loud on behalf of the congregation, and to pray along with them in the heart, and to offer up at the end a hearty amen. Uh, to say amen, meaning I agree. It is true what you have prayed. Let it be so. Two, the congregation might also gather for a corporate prayer where the members themselves are invited to pray. And this is what we are doing on the Lord's Day evening. We conclude that service with a time of prayer that is open to the members. And members should come prepared to pray as I have exhorted you to do Again, these prayers need not be eloquent or complicated. In fact, the scriptures do exhort us to pray simple and brief prayers. But again, our prayer should be reverent. Those who are praying out loud should pray according to the truth. And those who listen should listen well, praying along in the heart. And they should offer a hearty amen at the conclusion of each one of those prayers. That is a custom I would really like for us to grow in, brothers and sisters. In our times of corporate prayer where one member stands up and prays, we should all listen. We should pray in the heart. And when they conclude, they, they should indicate that they are concluding somehow, maybe saying in Christ's name. And we should all say at the conclusion of that prayer, what? Amen. I think it is a wonderful habit to establish uh, that, 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 that indicates that, uh, that that person's prayer 
is being offered up in a corporate context. And that we as a church are praying along with them. I think that amen is very important. And so stand firm, clothed in armor, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Fourthly, Paul commands us to pray with alertness. Uh, That is what he says in the middle of verse 18. To that end, keep alert. To be alert is to be awake. And not only does this mean that you are to be alert while praying, awake while praying, maybe some struggle with that, I don't know, during uh, corporate prayer times, maybe they're nodding off, Uh, let's not do that. But I think more to the point, what Paul is saying is that we are to be aware of of, of the things that we ought to be praying for. We, We are to be watchful and alert in the whole of life so that we might pray according to the needs that are all about us. So are you alert, brothers and sisters? Are you aware of the battle that rages around you? Or have you grown sleepy and dull in your spiritual walk? Are you living life in such a way where you are observing the world going, there is a spiritual battle raging all about me and I had had better be praying for it? Are you alert to the needs that exist in this church, in your family, in your community? Are you alert in the sense? And friends, we should not struggle to find things to pray for. If in private prayer and if in corporate prayer you are struggling to find things to talk to God about, I would guess it is because you are not alert. You are not paying attention to the world around you. You are not seeing the spiritual battle that rages. In fact, if we are alert, we will have the opposite problem. It will be difficult for us to be concise in prayer so as to not go on and on in it to the neglect of our other responsibilities in life and other aspects of corporate worship. If you are alert, mindful of the battle that rages, of your needs and of the needs of others, you will never struggle to have something to bring as a prayer or supplication before the throne of grace. Again, I have been exhorting you, brothers and sisters, to come prepared for corporate prayer on the Lord's Day evening. In other words, come to prayer be it private or corporate, alert to your own needs and to the needs of those around you. Fifthly, the apostle commands us to pray with all perseverance. The Greek word translated as perseverance means to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of despite difficulty. It means to devote oneself to something, to to keep on, to, to persist. And so we are to be alert in prayer, And we are also to be persistent. We we ought to work hard at this, both in our individual lives and as a congregation. We should work at prayer. Sometimes prayer does feel like work. And that's okay. It is also sweet communion with God. It must be both of those things. But we are to be persistent in our prayers. Why do we need to persist in prayer? Well, because God does not always answer our prayers immediately. Nor does He always answer them in the way we expect. Sometimes He answers our prayers very slowly. But He does always use the process of waiting and trusting to refine us. I think what Paul is saying here is do not give up in prayer. Persist in it. God's timing may be different than yours and His ways are often mysterious to us. But we must not give up with prayer. There is a parable that Jesus told on the subject of persistence that I do love. 
It's in Luke 18, verses 1 through following. You don't need to turn there. But Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So that's the purpose of this parable. We're warned about that from the outset. He taught them a parable to encourage them to always pray and to not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think this parable can be easily misunderstood. Does Jesus teach here that we are to nag God with our prayers? Does he teach that God will give in to our nagging if we only persist long enough? Of course, that is not the point of the parable. To the contrary, Jesus is encouraging persistence in prayer by appealing to the goodness of God and to his love for his elect. The point is that the widow got justice for herself through persistence, even with an unrighteous and godless judge. How much more reason we have to persist in prayer, given that we pray to our Heavenly Father, who is perfectly powerful, good, and just. If God does not answer your prayer right away, or in the way that you think He should, it is not because He is lacking in power, in wisdom, or in love. To the contrary, He is all of these things, and perfectly so. And so we must persist in prayer, knowing to whom it is that we pray. We pray to our Father, who is in heaven. That question that Jesus asks at the end of the parable is a haunting one, I think. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think he will. But I think it is a challenging question. It is meant to challenge us. Here Christ is speaking to his disciples saying, What will the Son of Man find when he returns? Will he find you persistent in prayer? Will he find you living a life of faith, which is indicated by persistent prayer? Or will he find his people faithless? What will he find? May it be so that when he returns, he finds faith on earth. He finds his people persistent in prayer, living in constant dependence upon God the Father through Jesus Christ, being led by the Spirit. Sixthly, Paul commands us to pray for all the saints. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, Paul says. Saints are not some class of super-Christians, as the Romanists teach. Instead, they are all who are in Christ Jesus. They are saints in Christ because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are those with the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. They are those who strive after holiness as they sojourn in this world. Saints are Christians. And Paul commands that prayers be offered up for all the saints, that is, for all Christians. So do not pray only for yourselves, brothers and sisters. Do not pray only for your family or your close friends. But be sure to pray for the saints. You are to remember the saints at Emmaus. You are to lift them up in prayer. You are to pray for the saints that you know who fellowship in other bodies. We should pray for the saints in 
other associational churches, we are to lift one another up in prayer. This is called inter intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is prayer offered up to God on behalf of others. I think we do have a wonderful tool at our disposal here at Emmaus um, on the realm, that online communication tool that we use. We, we do have a list of regular attenders and members. It functions kind of as a directory. Um, even the names of the children of members are listed there. And so I am saying it would not be difficult for the members of Emmaus to pray through the membership roster, to take a few families a day or a week and to make intercession for them. I actually do something like this as, as your pastor. I have the members of this church divided into four groups, and I pray for those groups one per week and in a pronounced way. I pray for needs that I'm aware of always, but I just pray through the membership roster of the church. Every once in a while, you might get a text message from me. I say, brother or sister, I'm praying for you this week. Uh, what can I be praying for? Uh, you might think, well, aren't you praying for me all the time, pastor? Well, yes, but... But this week is your week, you know, I'm, I'm praying for you. And I'm saying that you could do that same thing as a member of the church, to just open up that, that roster there online and to just take a few a day or a few a week and, and to pray for the members of this church in a, in a pronounced way, even if you don't know what's going on in their lives, what their specific needs are. You don't need to. You can pray for growth in Christ, for a blessing upon their marriage or their children, for provision for their daily bread. You can pray for those things. I think it is important for us to pray uh, for one another. It's important for us also to follow through on those requests that are explicitly stated on, on the realm. I do love that people share requests there. Hey, this difficulty has arisen. Will you please, please pray for me? And, and we, we all see it. And some will say praying. And I trust that we are in fact praying after we say that we're praying. Uh, for, for those requests. Let's pray for one another. We're to offer up prayers for all the saints. Pray for specific needs, but also for general things. Growth in Christ. Perseverance. Faithfulness. A worthy walk. This is what Paul did. He prayed for all the saints. He practiced what he preached. And we know that he prayed for all the saints because he reveals to us that he did. And he also reveals to us the content of his prayers we find one of those prayers uh, revealed to us in Ephesians 3.14 and following. And I just I want you to listen to this prayer. We've already studied this passage before. But Paul prayed for all the saints. And, and how did he pray for them? Aren't you curious to know? What kinds of things did he pray for when he prayed for the saints? He tells us, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do you hear it? He's praying for spiritual strength, for nourishment, for growth and maturity, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Why do I read that? I'm reading this so as to emphasize that Paul was praying primarily for spiritual concerns, for the saints in Ephesus. I am not saying that we should not pray for material concerns. Give us this day our daily bread. We should. Lord, provide work. Lord, bring healing. Lord, protect. This is good. 
But I think our prayers ought to be weighted much more heavily in the realm of spiritual concerns than they are. We ought to be very much concerned to pray for our children and their spiritual needs, not just their protection as they go off to school or something like that, right? Let's pray for their spiritual concerns. Let's pray for one another as it pertains to spiritual things. We are to make intercession for one another for things spiritual, and we cannot go wrong in praying as the apostle prayed for the Ephesians. Seventhly and lastly, Paul commands us to pray for the success of the gospel which means the salvation of souls, the strengthening of Christ's church, and the furtherance of Christ's kingdom. Look with me briefly at verse 19. Paul says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so here we are reminded very briefly of where Paul was writing from. He was writing from a Roman prison. And as we think about this, I think it is worth noting what Paul does not request prayer for. He says nothing about freedom. He says nothing about kind treatment from his captors. He says nothing about comfort. And I would not fault him if he did ask for prayer for these things. Those would be legitimate and reasonable requests. But evidently these things were not Paul's primary concerns Instead, he requests that the Ephesians pray that God would grant him boldness to proclaim the gospel. Now, why would Paul request prayers for boldness? Why would he mention that? Would it not be because sometimes he felt timid and afraid? I think this must be the case. When we read of Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts, we are often impressed with his boldness. He was very courageous to stand for the cause of Christ, and it cost him much And it would eventually cost him his life. But we should not assume that Paul was immune from fear and anxiety. We should not assume that he was not sometimes tempted to abandon the cause of Christ and to go the way of Demas, for example, who was in love with this present world and deserted Paul. Paul was a human. He's very transparent in some places concerning the fact that he felt at times overwhelmed with anxiety and with fear. And I think here in this passage in Ephesians, he prays for boldness, revealing to us that he felt the temptation to cower and to be timid and to be silent so that he might enjoy the comforts of this life again. He was writing from a Roman prison, but he asks that the Ephesians would pray that he would have boldness to proclaim the mysteries of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, are you praying for the success of the gospel? Are you praying for ministers of the gospel, that is, for evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, that words may be given to them in opening their mouths boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that they may declare it boldly as they ought to speak? When Paul speaks of the mystery of the gospel, he is speaking of the gospel that was first revealed dimly to Adam, and then with ever-growing clarity through Abraham, Moses, and David until it was fulfilled in Christ the Redeemer. That is why it is called the mystery of the gospel. It was once veiled, but now it has become clear that the Christ has come. This gospel that God has provided a Redeemer for all the peoples of the earth must be preached, but it will always be offensive. It will always be met with hostility 
For in it, men and women are called to turn from their ways. They are called to turn from their sins and to trust in the work of another, Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, ministers of the gospel will always be tempted to to cower. They will be tempted to be silent so as to enjoy the pleasures of this life, the comforts of this life, and to not endure trial and tribulation. We must pray for them. So may the Lord give boldness to those whom he has called to preach the word, and may he send out laborers into his harvest, for the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. In the meantime, may this church be a house of prayer. May we individually and corporately stand firm in the Lord, clothed with spiritual armor, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also that the mystery of the gospel would be declared boldly as it ought. Let's bow together and pray now. Our Father in heaven, if we have been slack in prayer, I pray that you would change that within us. If we do not have a desire to pray, would you give us the desire? Draw us to yourself, O Lord. If we do not know how to pray, teach us how to pray. Father, I pray for us individually, but also as a congregation, that we would grow in this regard, that we would learn more and more how to pray together, and that we would fulfill this this aspect of, of the church, this calling of the church to be a house of prayer. Lord, move us to this. I pray that you would bless us as a congregation each and every Lord's Day, that on this day in particular, we as your people called and redeemed the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we would offer up prayers that are pleasing to you. We trust that you hear them and we trust that you will work through them according to your will. In the name of Christ we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.